Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex and today we are bringing you a very special episode to sort through OpenAI's upheaval. To do that, we are joined by a couple of folks and we are going to talk through what has happened since Monday, what might come next for OpenAI, and also what is next for the AI landscape as a whole. That means startups, that means models, and yes, that also means enterprise software companies. So to help me talk through all this and understand every single possible angle, I have brought along senior TechCrunch reporter Kyle Wiggers and also my dear friend Matthew Lindley, author of the Supervised Newsletter and former Equity host. Kyle, Matt, welcome back. How you guys doing? been a long couple of days so yeah 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 i don't know what day it is <laughs> it's just been a blur uh from friday to tuesday <laughs> yeah and it's continuing i believe based off of the trash cans on the street it may be tuesday because i think tuesday is trash day right. but i'm not 100 percent sure so i'm sure neither of us have really emerged from our offices um, that's what i was gonna say it's <laughs> recording so. you guys are you're going to the park you're gonna touch some grass and you're gonna get out of the house <laughs> grass sounds nice yeah <laughs> but the good news is things have kept happening so there has been lots of news to chew on it wasn't just a weekend of chaos and if you want to find out kind of what happened up until monday morning we have an episode about that out the other day. So start there. We're going to pick up essentially on Monday. And the last thing that we covered here on the show was Ilya from OpenAI putting out a tweet saying, hey, everybody, uh, sorry about that. I want to get the company back together. And Lindley, I have to tell you, I was so shocked when I saw that. I literally was curious if he had been hacked. So picking up from that point, how shocked were you that one of the most public members of the company that was in favor, or seemingly so, of ousting Altman ended up coming around on Monday morning? I'm, I'm not shocked. I think it's just the the speed at which this is developing. Um, you know, things are pivoting like at 90 degree angles every two seconds at this point um that you know honestly it's 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 kind of impossible to predict what happens next mostly because the open ai board has been completely quiet on all this stuff as of this recording the open ai board has been completely quiet about this stuff um this could change within the next 24 hours so by the time you're listening to this who the hell knows but you know for for the time being we just have you know have got nothing and so obviously like everyone is just all they have is like a thousand questions and then who knows this? <laughs> 24 hours sounds generous. <laughs> it could be one hour. Kyle, same question to you. On the Ilya front, were you surprised to see him become more in favor of kind of putting the company back together as it had been? No, I wasn't surprised either. You know, so based on the reporting we've seen, uh, he seems to have masterminded um, the outster of Altman. Um, we'll see whether or not that's true in the coming days and weeks. Um, but all signs are pointing to that being, you know, relatively likely. Um, at the same time, like OpenAI is his child, right? He's been there from the start. Um, he was extremely close with Brockman in the early days, at least. They were allies and aligned in, in this mission to, to bring AGI to the masses um, and like affect positive change in the world. So I think once he started to see um, internal revolt to this decision, you know, OpenAI employees, hundreds, um, most of the company at this point signing a letter disagreeing with the board's decision to to oust Altman. Um, he saw this crumbling. <laughs> you know, he saw his dream, um, all of his work, um, at least for the past few years, coming down and maybe amounting to nothing in the end. You know, that that's his fear, I'm sure, at this point. So he is trying to salvage um, this company. Um, and maybe it's too late, but I think he realizes that 
there are more important things than potentially a grudge or a disagreement with Altman um, in terms of like the company's direction. I think he's he's willing to make compromises. Whether the rest of the board does is another question. So far, they don't appear to be um, aligned on that. But um, right. we'll see. Things change by the minute. <laughs> okay, so on the on the letter point, just bringing people up to speed, there was a letter going around of people saying, "Hey, you know, if you don't bring Alman back, we are going to leave. Perhaps to go with him to Microsoft or somewhere else." It was like four hundred names, then five hundred names, and then it seems to be Lindley that now it's essentially a hundred percent of the OpenAI staff that has signed on to this letter saying, "Bring back Altman or we're out of here for good." Only ninety-seven percent, I think. If you want ninety-seven percent, yeah, yeah, yeah. precise. I just I've never seen an example in which employees have banded together in favor of an executive. I've seen the opposite, you know, people banding together to get someone fired for being terrible. But this is a first. And so, Lindley, you know, what do you think makes Altman such a lightning rod for the open AI staff that they are willing to go to bat for him in this way? I mean, Sam's had so stepping aside from open AI specifically, Sam's had like deep has been deeply integrated in the Valley for a very, very long time. He was the president of Y Combinator. Um, you know, he has, he's the classic startup founder, you know, founded a quasi mostly failed startup that got acquired slash aqua hired. Um, I think this was back in like 20, 2012 or 2013. And so when you're, when you're that kind of prominent in one of the most important start startup networks in the Valley, the level of, of power you have in recruiting and influence is, is high, very high. You know, I I, th I think that um, you know some of the most successful startups in in tech have have come out of uh, Y Combinator, Stripe. I think being the biggest one, and there are actually a lot of Stripe employees at OpenAI, um, at least on the go to market side, and <clears> they're <throat> former Stripe employees. So I think he's he's kind of this icon esque figure alongside Paul Graham and alongside uh, some of the other um, you know larger than life. Uh, characters in Sil in Silicon Valley, and that commands a lot of respect, and that commands a lot of of influence. You know, as far as the the company rallying behind Sam, you know, he's he's a very charismatic guy, right? And I think I I think is he that charismatic he, though? Come on, relatively speaking, in Silicon Valley, I think uh, he seems very nice, but yeah, he's never yeah, yeah, struck me as the person that you meet and then you know you walk away going, oh shit. Well. It's kind of a Jack Dorsey esque thing, right? You you're sort of like in in the vicinity of him, and you kind of get cop captured by uh, by okay. the, the presence, right? So it's like personality, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's kind of Jack Dorsey esque, right? And if you, I don't know if you guys remember, but like Paul Graham penned this essay like not too like a, a long time ago, where he compared Sam Altman to Steve Jobs and a couple other people. But you know, you know, again, like there there's a there's a level of influence, level of power, and a level of recruiting that he brings along that and also at the same time, uh OpenAI LP is his is effectively, you know, his and many other people's babies. Um, the reason ChatGPT exists in the first place is because of the company that OpenAI helmed. No one knew that ChatGPT was gonna be the cultural zeitgeist that it was. And all of a sudden, all these people that were just research scientists realized they created this like massive like cultural impact crater that uh, had effectively altered the trajectory of the tech industry. And so, and so, I think that um, you know when you when you look at when you look at it in that lens, you know it doesn't necessarily the setting aside the the kind of alignment stuff. Um, you know, this is the guy that led you to 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 creating the first instance, arguably the first instance of of uh, popularized and widely used uh, AI in the first place. And so, 
Um, so I think it's like a mix. It's a mix of a lot of things. It's the open AI culture. It's the it's Sam's personality himself and Greg as well. Obviously, Greg Brockman, um, who was the president, and uh, just the the fact that he got it out the door in the first place. I think is like for most startups, like getting a product out the door is a minor miracle in the first place. Um, and so the fact that something like that got out the door is 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 also a big part of it. So um, okay. and, you know, to, to Kyle's point, like the alternative is it is it goes to zero, and so. You know, it's like at the the momentum keeps picking up over and over, like consistently picking up that it's that that the that everything is going to go to zero, and so like it's everyone's baby, right? And like no one wants to see their baby thrown out with the bathwater, right? Yeah, okay. Not for nothing. Sam Altman was one of the original like board members of OpenAI too, right? Like one of the co-founders. Um, he's been there since 2015. You know, so he's um, maybe been less involved in some of those years, but like has been you know closely guiding uh, OpenAI's uh, research efforts, now commercial efforts, um, you know, so uh, I, I'm sure with a lot of the early OpenAI um, employees, scientists, engineers, um, there's there's an allegiance there, right? You know, um, they realize that he's not, he didn't come in um, out of nowhere with no experience, not knowing what OpenAI was as an organization. Um, he's seen it grow and evolve and change. Um, and he's been one of the few consistent board members over the years, um, given, you know, the turbulence on, on the board side. Like, um, it's not surprising that a lot of um, employees, even if they don't completely agree with his leadership, um, they, they know what to expect from him. The thing that I'm blown away by is everything you guys have just said makes a lot of sense to me and actually kind of meshes what I was thinking. But then why did the board so fantastically misunderstand the lay of the land? Because from what I understand today, it seems like the board said, all right, we don't agree with Altman. We think that he's, you know, taking this on the wrong path. We're going to get rid of him and keep going in a different direction. And then it turned out that they were completely, in the Texas sense, all hat and no cattle without Altman. So how did they get it so wrong? Did they get a little bit high on their own supply? That's what I'm curious about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, again, like, we we don't know for sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, Kyle was probably in the same boat when it happened. Like, we were all messaging dozens of sources um, to try and understand what was going on. And no one knew. This is a very closed off decision. Um and and there clearly was not a lot of like outside input here. I think like Microsoft found out about the last minute about the stuff as well. Um, you know, I'd heard the same thing that Microsoft was largely kept out of the loop and all of the all all of it. And you know, when you when you look at the the sort of board's directive, it's like the the fiduciary duty to humanity. I think is like the the terminology used yep. for it. And like if you sort of take the step back and say, okay, they if that was their intent, maybe something happened behind the scenes that we don't fully know about. Um, but, you know, it's not clear because you know, 747 OpenAI employees are threatening to leave to uh, as part of this. And you would think that something would have leaked out um, by now at this point. So, so you know, I, I think that um, unfortunately it's just, it's such a, it feels like it's such a small group of people that, that made the decision that until they say something about it, we're, we're not going to find out. We have, you know, we can throw theories around all, around all day, but, um, you know, I, I, again, this information would have come out somewhere if it, if, uh, if it wasn't restricted to the small group of people. So, so, so small, yeah. it's not leaking. 
This doesn't happen, by the way. Like the last time this happened was like Brett Taylor leaving Salesforce and like shocked everyone. And like and that turned out to be like a tiny group of people. I can explain that one, though. I can explain <laughs> that one. That's because whenever a reporter starts to cover Salesforce, they slowly fall asleep. And that's why <laughs> no go. one's dug deep into Brett Taylor's uh, failed run at CEO there, because I think everyone is still napping from that attempt at journalism. Sass overexposure will do that to you. SaaS <laughs> poisoning. Because. Before we talk about what this means for, for a lot of other folks in and around the startup world, I want to do a little bit of the prediction game. And I'm not doing this simply to be rude to my two fine guests, but really I am curious what they think. So starting with Kyle, do you think that Altman and the staff of OpenAI end up at Microsoft or do you think they end up back at OpenAI when all this is said and done? Um, well, predictions are hard. Uh, plus, there are a lot of variables at play here. If you asked me yesterday, maybe two days ago, I would have said, sure, I could see Altman returning, um, maybe Brockman too, an entirely new you know, board. Now, as of this recording, Tuesday afternoon, some board members seem pretty reluctant to allow that to happen. Altman and Brockman have both been offered jobs at Microsoft and Adela has hired them for a uh, research lab, AI research lab that's brand new. We barely know anything about it, but supposedly they'll be given free reign to to essentially do what they were doing at OpenAI under uh, closer supervision, for one. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of bureaucracy that's going to come along with that. In any case, they're safe should they choose to continue developing whatever AI they were at OpenAI, um, subject to IP uh, restrictions. <laughs> but there's another scenario in which I guess the board comes around, realizes that a lot of employees at OpenAI may no longer be there soon. So um, they decide to salvage uh, this as best they can, leave their seats, uh, make way for a new board. Altman comes back, Brockman, Brockman comes back, uh, and there's a new governance structure in place. Uh, Nadella has said publicly now that um, he's not really comfortable with how the board is set up and how uh, oh, really? OpenAI... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. I think he specifically said on CNBC uh, yesterday that, um, oh, no, it was um, Bloomberg TV that surprises are bad. <laughs> um, I'm sure Microsoft customers weren't happy to learn about this either. You know, it's not a good look for Microsoft. So they don't they're not super pleased with not having a seat, I'm sure, on this important decision making body. Um, maybe they'll even take issue with the fact that this nonprofit that's sort of like above the investor law, you know, kind of makes all the decisions at OpenAI, as it turns out, and they have, and nobody can challenge those. And there's no communication with investors, including Microsoft. So if Altman and Brockman come back, I think it's going to be a vastly different OpenAI. The damage is going to be lasting regardless of what happens. And that's probably why Sutskever seems so apologetic in his recent tweet. I think he yeah. he does deeply regret how things happened. Well, there's a cartoon about this. It's the Oh No cartoon series. And this little cartoon character says, I wish things were different. And then he tears his room apart and he goes, Oh No. Yeah. Lindley, same question over to you. Predictions front. Uh, if you had to lay a wager right now, Altman and crew to Microsoft or Altman and crew back to OpenAI where they rebuild their home, all of what Kyle just described. Well, I mean, like like Kyle said, like Satya is going on his charm offensive right now, um, going on, you know, TV, CNBC, Bloomberg. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I think as far as I know, and 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 I believe it's been reported, this is it's like not a done, 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 right. Mm -hmm. Multiple duns mm -hmm. uh, deal. Um, I will say, you know, like as of Tuesday morning, it seems trending in the Microsoft direction just because Microsoft's 
has like a lot of resources they offer they can offer and a lot of data they can offer and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, like there's a lot of like RLHF debt to reinforcement learning from human feedback um, debt to to kind of pick up on um, if everyone did go over to Microsoft. If there were, again, we're we're kind of like predicting, right? Um, it, if there were a hangup, it would be to like what percentage Microsoft offers to hire of the 747 that have signed this letter. Um, you know, it's not clear that they would, you know, I have no idea if they would offer all of them. That's a lot of employees to hire all at once. Uh <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I adore you. You're my favorite person, blah, 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 blah. What's the point of being a three trillion dollar company if you have to pretend that budgets matter? Like, come <laughs> on. I just like, you know, we're we're saying predicting, right? You know, I think it's like all these decisions that go all the way up to the top and and they can't necessarily be unilateral um and microsoft is a very large company you know they can make a lot of awkward decisions like they have a colossal sales force for example that already have you know gone through the motions of of integrating open ai products into their sales pitches i'm sure um, oh, yeah. because they have a, such a close relationship so it's like you know if there were a hangup it would be you know to what degree the OpenAI staff is 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 hired. You know, if it's all of them, like that's one all, that's one universe. If it's some of them, that's another universe. And, yeah. and you know, again, this is kind of throwing things out. Um, uh, you know, that that is that's you know, I you know, I could see that being a potential hangup if it does come up to that. So, but at the moment, trending towards Microsoft, I think. Okay. I appreciate that very much. We are going to turn the page and talk about startups and the impact on other model companies. But very first, a short break. Turning away from just the drama at OpenAI and looking ahead to the future for the startup world, one thing I'm curious about, Kyle, is if this just general turbulence at such a leading company in the AI model space is going to provide extra market oxygen for companies like Mistral, Anthropic, and other companies that were competitive in raising money, but were not at the same level of um, stature or market share, if you will, as OpenAI. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I see this benefiting those especially that have uh, made open source like a core part of their strategy. Not that OpenAI hasn't in the past. Um, you know, they do release or they were releasing at least recently open source models. But those that have made it their entire business, in some cases, investors are probably going to favor that approach over or that'll look more attractive than a vendor lock-in one right now. Um, <laughs> given that open AI, a lot of OpenAI customers are shopping around uh, at the moment get, because there's a lot of uncertainty. They don't know what OpenAI is going to look like in a week from now. None of us do. Um, those that have embraced open source and championed it, it in you know, a more obvious way than OpenAI has, despite its name, um, yeah, I mean, customers might feel more comfortable with them and thus investors will be more attracted to them, um, at least in the short term. Uh, so I certainly think it benefits um, those sorts of AI startups. Um, as far as the broader implications, I think it's still too early to say. So it's it sounds like overall positive, some questions about where this is going to shake out. Okay, Lindley, yeah. if you're a startup that has been levering, for example, an open AI model through an API, and you decide you want to hedge your bets and get 
perhaps a more multi-model world in place of your company. How different is the technology between models and how hard is it to kind of like have them integrate into your service side by side? Yeah, so to be clear, OpenAI has two businesses, right? They have a consumer business and they have an enterprise business and there's some intermingling of the two. When you look at kind of like the future of this after the meltdown here, the, the part of the business that is like replaceable is is obviously their their APIs or a number of their APIs. Um, you know, the, there isn't a lot that's like super competitive with Whisper, which is their their um, speech to text algorithm. But like, yeah. there's, you know, there are a lot of these out there. Um, a lot of companies have already been using multiple in uh, workflows because they are different um, or they they're good at different things. You know, for example, like I think Claude, like the general feedback is it's better at, at writing and content, but, it you know, is not as good at code. And you know things like JSON as OpenAI, um, and so they they kind of fit into different workflows. But like this is the you know this is the sort of like danger of of, of building your company on an API in general. Um, and we saw this in 2010, 2011, 2012. Um, you know way back when Twitter had remember when Twitter had an API. Uh, oh, <laughs> way, those were the way, days way back in the day. Uh, yes, the good old the good and, old days. And and you know that's that's kind of the danger that's inherent with it, but it also means that um, you know these APIs can be dropped in and out, and you just kind of have to like have to adjust how you integrate in the first place. So maybe it's a little bit of, of prompt tuning to a certain extent or prompt engineering. And there are a lot of these companies that are doing serving now. Um, you know, there's a Together uh, and um, AnyScale and a few others offer Llama endpoints uh, for inferencing Llama. Um, there's Anthropic, obviously, uh, Cohere has a lot of, uh, models available, which, you, you know, all these have their, their ups and downs, um, in terms of performance. Cohere is probably like a really interesting one. I think that, you know, we can go into a, a lot at, at some other podcast, but, but, you know, these things are as simple as like editing a small cell in a Jupyter network to replace. Um, and, and so I think that, uh, you know, if I'm building on top of APIs, like I personally am not really worried, like, you know, having had direct experience dropping in and out of these APIs uh, for, for personal stuff. Um, and uh, like, it's literally like two or three lines of code. Um, and, and I think the impact there is probably a little less significant than it could be um, because they're, because the competition has become so intense from the like zero shot approach. When you get to fine tuning, it gets a little bit more interesting, I think, because GPT-3.5 fine tune the the feedback is actually like pretty positive from most people that I've talked to that have that have used it. Um, they think it's pretty good, um, and that's a really, really, really easy experience to to do a, a quick fine tune on it. Um, so that starts to get a little bit more complicated. But again, some of the some of the open source guys, um, the they are able to to. Um, make it a little bit easier to, to, to handle fine tunes and, and serve serve those as well. Um, so so it, it sounds like it's not that hard to swap between them. There are different strings and different models. OpenAI wasn't the whole market, but this is still a good moment for anyone who's building a, a model outside of the OpenAI world to show off, get more market share, and perhaps just have a more receptive audience out there amongst startups, consumers, and enterprises. Yeah. I mean, if, if I were a, uh, a startup founder um, in AI uh, working on these, I would be going hard on fine tuning and and serving fine tuned models if that. But that's, you know, just kind of like 
stepping back and looking at it. Can we make like some sort of analogy to help people understand what you mean by you would focus on fine tuning models? Is that like um, you wouldn't manufacture engines, but you would be a, a tune up place where you could get your sports car made even better? Or what's what's a good analogy that's in more the human terms? Literally? Yeah. So say say you're an F1 driver. You're you know, you're 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 a big fan of F1, right, Alex? Um, True. Uh, the the fine tuning is uh, you know you say uh, you have kind of a stock engine um, that goes into your F1 vehicle. Fine tuning would be the equivalent of making adjustments to the car and or engine and or um, driving mechanisms to suit the driver specifically. So like you know you have to assume Verstappen has his own personal like highly modified setup ah. to suit his driving style. Um, but the te- you know, the, every, all the parts are the same from, from car to car. Uh, right. so, so thinking in terms of like, how can I, how can I make this as adaptable and as usable to this one specific, you know, an F1, it would be Verstappen and in a, you know, AI land, it would be Salesforce or something along those lines. So, yeah. And if you want to extend the F1 analogy, just a little bit, the model is the Red Bull F1 car. Uh, the setup for Max Verstappen is the fine tuning. And if you want to see the example of a poorly fine tuned model, just look at Sergio Perez's performance throughout the 2023 season. And if you get that joke, uh, good news, season's over. Thank God. All right, Kyle, I want to come back to you and talk about open source for a second, because one of the biggest conversations that I was tracking in the realm of kind of new AI technologies in the last year or so was closed source models versus open open source models. And it seemed that because OpenAI was so successful, their closed source models were essentially kind of winning the conversation by default. I'm just curious, does the last couple of days of chaos shake up that dynamic and does it provide a a boost or tailwind, if you will, to the open source folks out there who really think AI should be built in public? Yeah, I don't know if it's so much about transparency as it is risk. You know, like when we said I guess, you know, you take a risk when you build a business on, on an API, um, a closed model, right? <laughs> I don't think many people anticipated this sort of risk, frankly. Um, but now they might, right? Like going forward, it's like, oh, oh my gosh. Like not that any uh, AI startup besides OpenAI have this weird board structure, but like managerial changes can happen. And startups are startups at the end of the day. And like, you know, macroeconomic headwinds can hit them hard. And then all of a sudden your business that you built on a closed source model and the API um, is in jeopardy because they can't pay the, you know, the server bills to run their AI um, for whatever reason. Um, open source does afford you the advantage of um, a lot of flexibility, right? Um, whether you have in-house experts, you know, will help you set up and run that model and fine tune it, or you recruit some outside firm to do it for you. I mean, it's up to you. It's entirely, you know, within your purview and power. Um, so I do think that's really attractive to startups. Um, and there are entire startups whose business model is taking open source models and customizing it for various business needs and applications, right? Um, and I see them benefiting too. Like that's now suddenly very attractive. It's like, well, you know, I don't have to be reliant on an open AI as good as their models are. Uh, maybe this model will do roughly what I wanted to, this open source model that's available on GitHub, and I'll find the right people to, to tailor it to my, my needs and, and my customers' wants, and that'll be awesome, you know? We'll, we'll all uh, come out ahead in the end. Um, it, it's way too soon to see, you know, what sort of, like, the size of the impact, I guess. Like, it's very early days, right? If OpenAI suddenly stabilizes tomorrow, somehow, 
um, maybe it won't move the needle. You know, it's like, oh, this is a temporary blip. Um, there was a lot of panic for a few days, but ultimately nothing to worry about, right? Um, but the longer the chaos continues and the uncertainty, um, I think the more interest we're going to see in open source. Not that it, there wasn't a lot already, but this is going to grow the movement even more. Yeah. And I mean, like, if you go back to you know, 2010 or 2011 or 2012, like the cloud would crash and everyone would be like, oh, F, does the cloud have a future? It's like, of course it had a future. Like, look where <laughs> we are today. So like, so this is, you know, there's the trade-off is always going to be there. Yeah. Now now here we are in the future when the cloud, as we all know, is now a multi-trillion dollar part of the world. So it turns out the long-termers there were correct. And I think that this is going to be what happens here with AI things will settle down. It is nice though, just kind of as a closing thought to be back in a technology cycle that is interesting and sufficiently driven by a couple of individual actors that things can happen. Like it, it, vertical SaaS was a thing for a long time and it was boring. This is at least very exciting. And so as someone who gets paid to watch the tech industry, essentially, I do enjoy things being a bit more spicy. It seems to be more clarifying and, and just frankly, overall more fun. Not that we all couldn't use more sleep, to be clear, but I've really enjoyed the last four days. Well, it helps that the tech is cool as hell, right? Yeah, the tech is cool as hell. Uh, my, my mom came into town. <laughs> I mentioned this the other day on the show. My mom came to town and uh, she had never messed with ChatGPT. And so we sat her on the couch and we were like just making stuff up with her and like having her use it and stuff. And it was just amazing to watch her instantly get how cool this was and just like just 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 an instant connection to a thing. And she does not like technology. It's not her jam. She's an art history person, you know? So it's it, it is really fun to be talking about something that has such great impacts uh, across so many parts of the economy. But we're going to leave it there for now. I'm sure there'll be more open AI stuff uh, by the time we all get done with Thanksgiving. As a reminder, Equity is going to have a special episode out later this week. But in the meantime, we're going to be taking a little bit of a pause on the newest run to go gorge ourselves in a great American tradition. Now, our guests have been here. They are fantastic. So we're going to give them a second to plug their own things. Mr. Lindley, where is your Substack? Where can we find it? You can find it at supervised.news. Um, it is a bestseller. It uh, became a bestseller in the first three months of launch, which is great. Um, and I think that counts as product market fit, I'm not mistaken. You can also follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Threads. Sorry, the platform formerly known as Twitter. There you go. Um, all those just at Matt Lindley. And you are literally free to reach out to me at m at supervised.news. I, I try to answer literally any question. So. And I think I was one of the absolute first paid subscribers to your Substack. I'm still here. Second one. Second, oh, one. second one. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> next time I'll Setting be Setting the first. record straight. Setting the record straight. <laughs> we also, of course, have had Kyle with us. Kyle, what's your Twitter? And then just people should read your TechCrunch archive, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I work for um, this great publication known as TechCrunch, as you mentioned. Um, not biased at all. Um, my Twitter is Kyle underscore L underscore Wiggers. You can find me there. Um, sorry, X uh, account. What do you call it even? Handle? It's, anyway. guys, it's Twitter. <laughs> the platform formerly known as Clearly, we're, we're <laughs> illustrating that um, there's a branding issue, but it's, um, that's mainly where you'll find my socials. Otherwise, yeah, checkcrunch.com. There's going to be a lot more to come on the open AI front for sure. All right. And of course, we are Equity Pod on X and Threads. And like I said, we'll be back later this week with some special things just for you in case you need to hide from your family. All right. This is Equity. This is Alex. Goodbye. Equity is hosted by myself, Editor-in-Chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch Senior Reporter, Mary Ann Azevedo. We are produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. And a big thank you to the audience development team and Henry Picavet, who manages TechCrunch Audio Products. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.